If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Blinking, it's on. I'm not fucking touching it. We're recording. We're recording. Don't move. Don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> We're drinking Corona Rita. Corona Rita. My Corona. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Chad. Hello. Hi, Box Fan Chad. Box Hi, Fan everyone. Chad. Hey, Hi, Courtney. Courtney. Tell us what you've done to us today. <laughs> Oh, today, our drink of today. Well, not to make light of coronavirus by any means. It's more about fake news for this one. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of fake news going around about coronavirus and many things Mm -hmm. on social media. But this is, uh, this came from Box Fan Chad yesterday that uh, CNN reported that 38% of Americans said that they would not buy Corona beer because of the coronavirus. (laughs) And this oh, really man. makes me sad, not only for <laughs> Corona, but for the state of our nation. <laughs> and I know that our listeners would not be that 38%. I love Corona beer. I have sat on many a Gulf Shore beach with one. Corona <laughs> in law. So today oh. is Corona Ritas. Yes. Oh, they're very fresh good. Fresh squeezed lime and lemons. Yes, about like 400 pounds. Yeah. You can see slaved, <laughs> slaved over these lemons and lemons. Thank you for the electric juicer. <laughs> <laughs> and Chad also uh, noted that these can maybe known around here as the knocky naked margaritas. <laughs> knocky naked. Right. See at the end of the show for that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so sassy. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Just a couple little shout outy things. Okay. Um, Oh, we talked to our friend Kellyanne, who gave me the idea for my story after I already had the idea for my story. This and week. totally ruined it for me. And Thanks, she shared, Kellyanne. She, she sent us. Oh, wait, you know now? Yeah. yeah. Kellyanne sent both of us a message that had the story that I'm going to do today in it. And I was like, stop, don't touch this, Patrice, don't look, close your eyes. <laughs> And, and I was you like, could have what? just pretended like that wasn't already, your story. I already read it. I know, but I was worried that, that then she <laughs> then would, I would do, do it, it and oh, I no. wouldn't be free. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's funny because it had come across my feet a while back. So I was like, I, I was prepping for it already. Sure, I was like, you are. <laughs> but she was very cool. She was like, look away, Patrice. <laughs> look at the pretty birds. <laughs> yeah. She was like, look, a witch's circle. <laughs> <laughs> with UFOs and all all the things. And let's that was see. funny. We were we were just talking about like touring options because we'd love to mm-hmm. once we are able to move again in mm-hmm. the summertime. We're I love that we're talking about touring in the summertime and like the <laughs> it's summer's gonna hit and we're like it's too fucking hot to do yeah, this. I don't care like, what we said. I can't move. <laughs> but um <laughs> We're talking about like maybe maybe some Atlanta ideas or some Birmingham ideas. Mm-hmm. So give us a shout out if you have connections in say or like Chattanooga too. Oh yeah, Chattanooga would be great. So yeah. if y'all are in venues, let us know. Yep. Um and we also so on if you're on our fan page mm-hmm. <laughs> was this earlier this week? But it was earlier this week. Patrice oh. and I were sitting in a coffee shop. Co working like we do. We were co working. And um, I can't I can't remember how we got. To okay, this. we well, got. We okay, this song? no, this is what it was. So there was the video that oh, came yes. out of the guy that's like he starts singing the song and then he goes to people on the street and he like gets them to finish the song singing it. And so uh, I was like, you know, it's got to be staged because the one really popular one was that lady. Lady Gaga song <laughs> and with Bradley Cooper, uh, yeah, the Shallows, which I love most parts of that song except for when she starts going shallow, 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 shallow. I'm like, okay, could we not like that part. do something else? But that's what it sounds like to me. It's shallow, shallow. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a horror movie. It's like shallow. shallow. I know. I know. It's just like shallow. I mean, everything else is great. I love the rest of it. 
<laughs> but I just don't. What is it? The chorus is that what it's called? When, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, so I had that song stuck in my head because he and I let Marleya watch that because it was like it was is viral at the time mm-hmm. that you know I was watching it and and we pretty much like figured he was sitting outside like a theater or some sort of yeah. um you know back entrance and was picking up like a couple of really good people that could sing and she knocked it out of the park and so that song was like going through my head and it was earworming and so yeah. I totally like earwormed block what you were singing and um mm-hmm. and that's when uh you know and you made a random defamatory remark about Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> said, I was so shocked by and that. He, I don't understand she around this. To me and she I said, I hate Bradley Cooper. And I was like, like, you hate him? And she's like, I hate him and I think he's a bad person. <laughs> and I was like, but everyone loves Bradley Cooper. <laughs> and I, I really didn't expect, like, your love of Bradley Cooper to be so strong. My personal love? Oh, I think that was more of... Uh, I mean, I really like Bradley Cooper. I think he's adorable. I think it's just... I think I'm just kind of floored by how much you hate him. <laughs> I don't... Where did like. that post come from? Where did you find that? Oh, we just sat there together and made a meme of oh, you did the oh, guy oh, okay. sitting at the table. I was like, how did yeah. you find that? <laughs> yeah, it was the prove me wrong guy. It was oh, yeah, the prove me, me wrong guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sat him. there. <laughs> and Marley is like, I'm throwing you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> the world shall know that you do not like Bradley Cooper. I don't hate Not him. only, you said you hated I, him. Well, you said, I hate Bradley Cooper and I think he's such a, bad a strong person. word. <laughs> Maybe so. I don't well, know. I just have like I just get this weird feeling from him. I can't explain it. It's not rational. It's not based on facts. Um, it's you know. I, don't know. I know there are people I'm like that about. I just it, can't yeah. It's it's, right pr- it's just me. It's I just, just like me. so many people. Yeah. Chad <laughs> shaking his head. Yes, I'm the opposite of here. I love everybody. <laughs> Prove me that they're assholes. Prove you that you can't possibly love everybody. Well, There's not everybody, somebody but... that just rubs you the wrong way. But you know, it's always I mean. that random one that just rubs you the wrong. Yeah, way. and that's that's oh, him. You know who mine is? Oh, I know who though. mine is. Listen, this is even this is super shallow. So I'm gonna well, this, I'm gonna throw shallow, myself. Shallow, shallow, shallow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna throw myself under the bus because I I love this guy as an actor and I think he's really really funny and I can't remember his name but you may know it it drives me nuts to look at him this is this I am a 100 I've never claimed to not be an asshole so this is just like 100% proof that this dude who uh used to be on Parks and Rec he played Amy Poehler's boyfriend on Parks and Rec what is that guy's name um um Adam oh is he kind of the small little pixie looking his eyes are too far apart he's on Adam Scott Adam Scott is that his name? Yes. And so, and he's been in a lot of other stuff, and he's always really funny. He's, and he was in, um, he was one of the lead on, characters uh, he's in on the Good Place. He, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. He was one of the lead characters in the Krampus movie, which was like one of my one of my favorite like Christmas horror films. So I like him, but when I look at him, it makes my skin crawl because his eyes are so far apart. Yeah, he, I just feel like little. they're slowly walking around to the side of his head, and it's like really disturbing to me. <laughs> So that's me trashing someone who does not deserve to well, be trashed. Well, he does play a demon on The Good Place, if okay. that helps you out. You should probably watch it. <laughs> I'm sure he's very attractive in person. So and you can... Uh, he's probably very attractive just in general, and I'm crazy. against and, him. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so I watch him be a demon. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's... that's yeah. All right. All right, so fair I'm enough. a dick. Me too. <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> Let's continue. Oh, speaking of dick... <laughs> I finally learned what the name Steely Dan, where it came from. What? Did y'all know where the name Steely Dan came from? No. That's a band, if you didn't know. I know it's a band. Well, sometimes she doesn't know music. Steely Dan (laughs) is what they used to call a vibrator. Ah! Really? Does this have something to do with the story you're going to tell us today? Unfortunately not. Aww. Well, no. <laughs> I will be talking about Dick again, but <laughs> it's not, oh my, 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 <laughs> my story is not centered around it. <laughs> Steely Dan. Yeah. I, I, Steely. Chad told me that. My Chad told huh. me that. Because he just learned it. He's like, did you know? And I was like, I did not. 
That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Steel. It's, it's not. It wouldn't make me want to use it. No, all. it's a little intimidating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steely Dan. That's. Probably what name, men called them. I was going to say, like, the first man makes a yeah. vibrator and names it Ramrod. You know, like. <laughs> That's how they like it. <laughs> Clearly, this well, is what women was, appreciate. He was probably named Dan. <laughs> yeah. It's named after the model. There you go. Oh, God. Wow. I need to research this. You probably do, because that's probably not accurate, but that's what Chad told me. There may be there may be one day when that shows up in bar trivia some night, and it'll be useful to someone. So you're welcome. Uh, well, got anything else? Mm, no, but I'm almost finished with this coronavirus. Oh, my God. <laughs> coronavirus, no! Fight fake news. It's not the virus. The lovely no. drink. I'm sorry. Man, uh, I thought I was drinking mine fast so that I could start talking, but you're drinking yours faster no, than I am. I'm like almost done. He's like, I'm going to drink two or three before you're even done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, here's the story. I'm so excited. Oh, gosh. Now don't get all excited because now I'm going to feel like I, this is long, so <laughs> sit tight. We are ready. Be comfortable. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Kellyanne. Hold on. Okay. One second. Oh, yeah, Just we got to turn da, the heater da, off. Da, 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 uh, do, 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 do. Okay. Mike Rona. Mike Rona. Okay. All right. So this is the story of Georgia Tan. And most of the information that um, I got, I got from either the book The Baby Thief by Barbara Bizance Raymond or an article from Insider.com from 2019 by Erica Celeste. Georgia Tan? Mm-hmm. T-A-N-N. So, like, let's lay the scene. That sounds... Uh, I'm ready. Anyway, let's go. So, uh, turn of the century, we're in turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Not this century, the previous century. Right. So, <clears throat> attitudes towards, like, women, the children, and the poor have a huge factor in how this whole thing plays out. Imagine that. Imagine. Mm-hmm. So, in the 1880s, there was, like, a migrant boom in the U.S., a lot of industrialization, high poverty and eugenics had started to become popular which is the idea that you you know can kind of control high quality people mm. by you know controlling who procreates so mm-hmm. you know i mean like trying to make it's gross yeah it is gross and um, totally not true <clears throat> and they kind of used it to explain like poor people are poor because poor people shouldn't raise children and they mm. keep on procreating and you know they're making more poor people i mean there's a lot of badness to all of that they can't parent properly um they're unfit that kind of idea and at the same time as this there's you know of course the big stigma of unmarried motherhood and um the idea it could kind of goes married women yeah point blank in general yeah but specifically with like women who were single having babies and being looked at as like Obviously, they're just promiscuous, they're stupid, they're immoral, they're mentally unstable, they're demented, they're sick. So all this kind of combines together to make a whole lot of unwanted and unfordable children. <laughs> and um, at this time, they're, like kids worked. So they worked in coal mines, textile mills. The, the, the pictures that you can easily find by searching this on Google are like jaw-dropping. Um, like little barefooted kids in factories right. climbing up on machinery and, they and just sticking did, their arms um, in things. My favorite murder just did the Atlanta story about the murder at the pencil factory yes. where all the kids worked. Which I had actually, I actually planned to do that one too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, um, Karen. <laughs> the lynching of Leo Frank. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of hand in hand because that was like right. a, I think a twelve-year-old, right, that mm-hmm. was killed in the pencil factory. So in 1910, there were two million children working, like for pay in the U.S. for very little pay, um, and uh, kids who were even too young to to work. Generally, if they were born to unwed mothers, they were given to foundling asylums, orphanages, that, or they were boarded with people that didn't really care for them. Um, their in, indentured servant servanthood was still a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and they would basically indenture the children as slaves or servants. They would go to work homes. Generally, they would run away from these, and they would become street kids. And adoption wasn't a thing. Right. 
And it was partly because of this whole, like, the the worth of poor people idea was mm-hmm. that, like, people of means didn't take other people's children in. It's like, I don't right. know where that's been. You right. know what I mean? Like, that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this is the time period when Georgia Tan is born in Mississippi. So she was born in Hickory, which was a little tiny. T- it's like 400 people in the town at the mm-hmm. time between Meridian and Jackson, Mississippi, yep. um, in 1891. And she was named Beulah George, and her 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 mom's name was Beulah. Her dad's name was George. Mom was from like a a pretty good, decent family. Dad was a dick, apparently, but like a a highly admired district court judge. And so, you know, he wanted a highly admirable family. You know, he wanted her to be a concert pianist, and Mm -hmm. you know, the bell of the ball, and all this kind of stuff. She wanted to be a lawyer, and. She grew up masculine and assertive and she wasn't feminine. She wasn't petite. She didn't like she wore trousers and flannel shirts. I mean, she kind of bucked some of the traditions for how she should behave. Right. Um, And she actually like she actually read law with her father and passed the state bar, but her father wouldn't let her um, practice law. What the fuck? Is is this something that her dad probably could have prevented? If he would have let her do, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so. Okay, I think continue. I don't whatever know. Whatever this bad this... is goes pretty. Okay, it goes pretty far down. Okay, um, she became arrogant, like in the course of all this too, because I think she kind of looked down on people the way her dad apparently mm. sort of looked down on people. Um, she went to a women's college, majored in music because that's what her parents wanted, um, and she. Um, she graduated and a lot of women at that time who went to college, like they wouldn't marry and it would be partly because they had quote unquote Boston marriages, which she did where, you know, two women were who were financially independent would like live together and nobody, you know, mm-hmm. it was just a nice way of looking mm-hmm. the other way about some stuff. Right. Um, so there was that. And also like if a woman had a degree, men didn't really want to marry them. Right. Because they were too scared of their intelligence. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't, she's not going to be a good mom. She's right. not going to do the things I want her to do kind right. of stuff. So she she kind of decided and knew that she was going to be on her own, even though she, you know, she'd gotten a degree that was music. I mean, she right. could have become a music teacher and all that, but that's not what she wanted. Um, so her father, the judge, he would, when she was growing up and then when she was in college and she'd be home and stuff, he would bring orphan children home a lot while the court was trying to figure out what to do with them because there wasn't a state system. Okay. So it's not like they could put them somewhere. Right. And this happened a lot, I guess. So, um, through that experience of like him kind of dealing with placement for these kids, she kind of got into this world and started kind of liking the idea of social work and child placement. So she became a field agent for the Mississippi Children's Home Finding Society in uh, Meridian in 1912. Hmm. So she did this really good, you know, good social work, but she dehumanized all these people that she was helping because Mm. she was like, they, they, for her, they were just all trash you know, they don't know any better. They're stupid. She looked at fertile lower class women as cows. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, she like she kind of started to look at all of these homes that she would visit and started to become obsessed with finding homes for kids who were actually already homed. So like the idea that, you know, they don't have to be orphaned to need something better than what you're giving them. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, does that make sense? She yeah. didn't think that any of them, you know should not be in a better situation. She just kind of wanted to take them. And um, so she helped to place children for adoption. She kind of followed the rules for a while, but she never really liked children. Like she didn't treat them warmly. She wasn't nice to them. She they were they tended to be kind of afraid of her. She was cold. Isn't that weird though? Yeah. Isn't that weird to be in that situation and actually like what about that? Is it the control that she liked? Maybe. Um, I mean, it sounds like it, judging by the descriptions of her personality. It yeah. sounds like the control would be a pretty huge thing. I mean, yeah, I was just wondering what she was getting out of it if she didn't enjoy like the company of children or like the idea of doing well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know because I mean, she wasn't. I mean, she she wasn't exactly in it to help the families yeah, in the, the way it, that it would be effective. Like if you go you into know? social work, you assume that you're in it because you generally like to help people and i feel like she kind of wanted to help 
society in her way, like felt like she wanted to help higher income people. She was trying to, yeah, access the system. Yeah, she was trying to ideal. She was trying to better society. Mm, Okay, now (laughs) now I understand a little bit better. So in spring of 1922, Georgia Tan drives her Model T car to the house of a woman named Rose Harvey. It's in Jasper County, Mississippi. It's not far from where um, uh, where she's from, from Hickory. And Rose is sick and asleep in bed inside her house. She's poor. She's recently widowed. She's young and she's pregnant. And her two-year-old son, Onyx, is sitting on the front porch playing by himself. And Tan lures him into her car and just drives away with him. Mm-hmm. So she gets to her dad and says, hey, sign these papers declaring Rose Harvey an unfit mother and saying that this two-year-old child has been abandoned. And he just does. He just mm-hmm. signs the papers. And Onyx is placed with an adoptive family, and um, his mother follows them and ends up taking legal action. She sues, but she fails. Mm-hmm. And they think maybe George intervened yeah. to make sure she didn't get her child back. And um, so she didn't get her child back. But the people locally in Mississippi in that area ran Georgia Tan out of town. Oh, wow. And it's not, like, definite that that's the reason why they did, mm-hmm. because apparently she was super unlikable. I don't know. But, <laughs> she um, sounds like a dream. But they did. They made sure that she was out of there and wasn't going to do it anymore. So, of course, Daddy then pulls some strings and gets her a job in Memphis. Mm-hmm. So in July 1924, she gets a job at the Children's Home Society in Memphis, Tennessee Children's Home Society. Um, and Memphis is going through its own shit now too. Oh, Memphis. So, I mean, sorry. Memphis, <laughs> I know how much you hate Memphis. Memphis. Well, and there's stuff in here that I didn't know about Memphis. So I didn't know the 1878 yellow fever. And you've talked about this before, like kind of, I think killed like 20,000 people across the South. Yeah. Memphis had a higher daily death toll than all the other <laughs> cities in the South combined mm-hmm. because of the port and the standing water and the poor sanitation of the city. So, um, after the yellow fever went through in 1878, the entire demographic of the city changed mm-hmm. because all the people who could afford it left. Right. And so you ended up with a bunch of people who were poor, a bunch of people who were minorities, a bunch of people who were not originally from the city who had come after the fact. Um, and cause a lot of those rich white folks who used to live there didn't even come back after. Right. So, um, the gap between the rich and poor in Memphis just got astronomically wide mm-hmm. at this time and the crime rate soared. And so around like the 1910, the government started being taken over by basically a mob boss. Um, E.H. Crump was elected mayor of Memphis And he stayed in control of Memphis politics, even though he was out as mayor in, like, 1915. He stayed in control of Memphis politics for, like, 50 years. Damn. He ran a racket. Damn. I did. Yeah, I mean, he, he, like, to the point where he even did, like, he sold insurance to new businesses Mm -hmm. so that they would pass inspections. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he oh, no. like, basically still going, still he going on. Yeah, he ran it. I mean, yeah, yeah. He would from the tens to the. 60s. But like the corruption, yeah. that kind of corruption, it's still very much there. And it was, I mean, it was really he. Everybody was in his pocket, and so this is the environment that Georgia Tan moves into, and she really likes to be friends with the big wigs, and she knows how important it is to have powerful friends. Mm-hmm. So she starts to get in with Crump almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So. um in the 20s, like, she moved to 1924, and the birth rate is going down in the South in 1924. But that idea that, like, poor people's kids are not worth adopting still stopped people from adopting. Mm-hmm. Even though fewer people were having having biological children, they're, you know, the Tennessee Children's Home's not doing a lot of placements right now because that kind of idea still persists. Right. So Tan starts, um, like, lecturing and telling rich white people that adopted children turn out better because of the selective process in which poor children can be remade into a, quote, higher type According to the Insider article, she said children who were adopted at a young age were basically blank slates. So even though like she kind of sometimes played to the eugenics card in some ways, she turned it on its head in other ways to just to get what she wanted. 
Um, so she was, she said, you know, their genetics aren't basically a life sentence to stupidity or whatever it is that they thought, or laziness or whatever it is they may have thought of their parents. They said, if you get them young enough, you can mold them. And so she is falsifying at the same time their backgrounds to make sure their parents don't know exactly where they did come from to kind of limit the amount of, um, of uh, bias that prospective parents would use against these kids. She's like making them younger on their birth records because she's, she's doing this pitch. If they're young enough, you can fix them basically. Um, And she pretends that they're from like excellent, talented people, you know? So she's falsifying all these records. She, um, she ends up buying off the mayor and she gets herself a network of thieves basically so she's got politicians, she's got deputy sheriffs, doctors, social she's just workers. A good old villain. She really is. Isn't she? I mean, she's got judges, she's got court employees, all of these people she's got in her pocket working against birth mothers in Memphis. So child surrenders had to be confirmed by an action of the court in Memphis at the time and Tennessee at the time. So she made friends with judges, and one in particular, um, juvenile court judge Camille Kelly, she would like pretend to help parents who were struggling with things. And basically while she was doing it, sever their parental rights and sign their kids over to Georgia tan. Um, so Kelly provided tan with 20% of the more than 5,000 children that tan eventually placed for adoption from Memphis. They, there was a story of a, uh, an orphanage, a Catholic orphanage in Memphis where the nuns would see judge Kelly coming down the road and they would hide the pretty children. Mm. Like, because she she would suddenly find a way to take them. Right. Um, so she had spotters, social workers, nurses that she would use to send to orphanages and to maternity homes looking for blonde, blue-eyed children. And um, she had the superintendent of orphanages in her pocket. He would tip her off when there was a kid that met the mold that she wanted to sell. And um, when it got, when like her stock got low, like when she was low on babies, um, she would have roundups. So they would like send off government employees to poor neighborhoods with pre-signed papers from Judge Kelly and just collect the children that they oh thought were marketable. That is horrifying. Yeah. Um, so the people that were like t- taking these families' children were people that the families generally trusted, their authority figures. Right. Their, right. you know, and so they like there was one that said, Okay, well, they told me that I would get free medical care. There was a widow's assistance program, and a lot of them they used this, they I'll give your child free medical care if you sign this paperwork. And then they said, Well, you sign this paperwork, it's time for me to take your children. I mean, like they yeah, just straight up lying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, they would the people that they had hanging out in maternity wards, they would dress them in white like nurses. They would have mothers sign, quote, routine papers while they were like recovering wow. from birth, have no idea what they're signing. And then they would just take the baby away before they even got to see it. And a lot of the time they would tell them that the, the baby was stillborn so that oh she wouldn't cause gosh. a problem. Um, so Tan and her workers visited doctors across the South. Um offering their pregnant single patients free room and board, um, mm-hmm. free medical care for the duration of their pregnancies, which is still something that happens. Right. Um, but they exploited this shame of single motherhood saying like, well, if you want that baby back, do you really want everybody in your town to know that you had a baby? You know, so they exploited all of this. They had laws in multiple states at the time requiring women to breastfeed for six months to make them bond with their children before this period of time. Because they didn't want the children to end up being wards of the state. So they had laws that said mothers who are new, single mothers, whatever, they had to breastfeed their children for six months to bond with them because they thought it'd be less likely that they would ditch their kids. And um, But now that the babies have become commodities, these laws get struck down. And by the 30s, single women were prevented from bonding with their babies, like blindfolded in the birthing room so that they don't even see them. So they have no bond with these children. Because in the 40s, white single mothers were just expected to give their babies up for adoption. That's how much change happened in that, like, 20-year period that Georgia Tan was working in Memphis. So (laughs) um, there was a woman who... um, filed a lawsuit against Georgia Tan, another one specifically against Georgia. Um, she failed. And when the judge was making his pronouncement that she wasn't going to get her children back because the kids had been placed with adopted parents, instead of like, instead of saying, 
this woman didn't have the right to take your child, like your basic human right has been violated. They focused on, do you have the same means as the adopted parents? And he basically said, like, this is just one of those sad tragedies of life that a mother has to endure for the best interests of her children. Like, he's, he just said, like, oh, they'll be better off there, though. So, sorry. Like, these people had no money. They had no power. They couldn't fight back. And a lot of them probably thought they were unworthy, too, mm-hmm. in, in comparison because of the way society has looked at them forever. <clears throat> so, um, on top of that, she worked with Crump to weaken adoption laws to make it easier for her to sell children out of state and um, to sell to people who could afford it quickly without wasting time checking their backgrounds. So she was placing children across the country now and didn't have to have any background checks on the adoptive parents. Um, she It was just basically, if you can meet this fee, then you get a kid. Um, so, And apparently there were only two kids who were ever rescued back by their parents from Georgia Tan. Um, so she tours the country lecturing on adoption <laughs> and oh adoption God. theory. Um, and um, so she basically looks at poor mothers as breeding stock and she looks at children as merchandise. So inside her network of people, they actually called children merchandise. They talked about filling orders or having a, like a blue eyed boy in stock or a brown eyed girl in stock. Um, that's the language that they actually used in the thirties. She walked around with babies and just offered them as gifts to powerful people. Like she would just walk around the street and hand them out. Did like, these people, I mean, I keep picturing like a handmaid's tale kind of situation, but these yeah. people weren't barren. Like they could have their own kids. Why did they want so many more? I don't know. I mean, there like, were a lot of situations I mean, where they were probably were. Like, yeah. When, I mean the word, that was the wrong word. That was a terrible word, but we're unable to have children. There was a, there, I, I remember they're saying there was one story of a family that wanted their daughter to have a playmate. So it was maybe they wanted a child that was a specific age. Um, you know, there were several who, but they want them for Couldn't child have labor. Their children, or... the older ones. That that was actually a huge yeah. thing with adoption. Like during all those previous times too, there was like there was actually like a, a child train that went out to like Indiana or something like that. I mean, they basically sold children who were from orphanages into slave labor in the Midwest for a long time. And so the the kids that were like 16, 17, it was really problematic because a lot of them were probably being sold for sex or for mm. for work. Um, but there were, there were, she was working under the assumption that these, that she was saying that these people are going to take care of these children better, like they, yeah, her argument was, was, yeah. And that, that was, that was her whole shtick, you know, that was what she, and the people that she, she, people who gave Joan Crawford had twin daughters that she got from Georgia Tan. Well, we know how Joan Crawford was, but it was famous people. Pearl S. Buck, the author had adopted from Georgia Tan, um, there, Lana Turner, a New York governor, um, Herbert Lehman, all these people, famous people, adopted from Georgia Tan. And I, I think part of it was because she charged, you know, people think like if you pay more for it, it's worth more. You know, I mean, I think part of it was because she charged all this money. So it's got to be really quality children, you know, mm-hmm. because they're commodities. Right. And they got to choose exactly what they wanted. And Did- they are believing that they come from these spectacular backgrounds. Was the girl... For mommy dearest, was she a tan child? I don't know. She wasn't because I don't think she was Joan Crawford's like biological daughter. I don't know. It was twins, I know, <laughs> that she adopted. So if, it, if the child had a twin, then it would have been one of hers. Um, I don't know. But uh-huh. yeah, she, I mean, it was, I mean, listen, she advertised children in newspaper ads. Like in the 30s and 40s. She had a she had an ad that had a caption "Once Home" at the top, and there's a photo of a child with her hand on her hip in a short dress, and the caption describes her as a solemn little trick with big brown eyes. Madge is five years old and awful lonesome. Oh my mm. god! They had one that said "Yours for the asking," which has a picture of the boy, and then it says, "How would you like to have this handsome boy play catch with you? How would you like his chubby arms to slip around your neck and give you a a bear like hug? He's yours for the asking." There's, they would raffle babies. There was a Christmas baby giveaway. I'm not even, I'm not even shitting you. They would raffle 20 to 30 babies off a year in the newspaper at Christmas time. And the ad said, want a real live Christmas present? A present guaranteed to add twofold to the joy of the holidays. Well, here's your chance for 25 children raging in age from three months to seven years will be presented to as many lucky families on Christmas Eve. 
I mean, it's like, it's super fucked up. That's horrifying. And that's, so that's the way. So she just continues to grow richer because by 1935, she's placed all these famous babies, all with rich people who all support her and are in powerful positions to help her. Um, She keeps 90% of these fees that she's charging them for herself and pockets all of that. And she asked, like, things like when she started going out of state, she would ask for transport fees and then have them made out to her instead of the children's home. Or she would take, like, 12 babies at once to one state and ask every single adoptive family for the hotel fee. And she would keep them all in one room. And so she did a whole lot of things. Um, She didn't assess adoptive, like I said, she didn't check on who these people were who were adopting the kids. And it would cost between $10,000 and $140,000 equivalent now to adopt a kid from her. Um, and meanwhile, <laughs> she's brokering kids, keeping them in, like, really horrendous living conditions. So they are, like, spread out between multiple boarding homes across Memphis. They had one report said there were six infants in a single crib in one of these houses. One of the houses didn't have refrigeration, and they were feeding newborn spoiled milk. Um, kids with like tuberculosis and syphilis mm-hmm. were kept in crowded houses to infect others, even though doctors had told her to keep them away from everybody else. Um, one pediatrician said he prescribed penicillin for a sick infant and learned later that Tan had ordered her nurses to stop giving it to the baby, but just to chart it like they were. Like, what's the just point for of that? How much money? Well, yeah, so she wouldn't have to pay for it. I guess. And then, so in 1945, one bout of gastrointestinal disease killed 40 to 50 children in four months in those houses. Ooh. So, like, um, they were kept in rooms that didn't have air conditioning. You know, it's Memphis, for God's sake. I mean, Memphis in the summer, they're dehydrated. Um, her spotters would take newborn infants hours after their birth from the hospital and immediately transfer them across state lines to another family. They can't take that kind no, of stress. that's so fast. So, you know, the Memphis hospital kept a ward reserved just for tan babies. Like, that's how much they knew they would be ill. And people complained about this all the way, all, all levels of government, a lot of people complained about it. Ethical social workers complained, but she had people in her pocket all the way up the line. And so nobody ever did anything about it at all. Um, so uh, because of the way that the children were treated, this is the assumption anyways, this is not like a definite cause and effect thing. Eight years after Tan's arrival in Memphis, Memphis had the highest recorded infant death rate of any U S city over a hundred thousand residents. Wow. So, I mean, they treated them badly. They, they like, did things like, they did just shit things. Like, you're not allowed to go to the bathroom at night, but if you wet the bed, I'll beat you. Mm. Like, they, they knew how to abuse the children so it wouldn't leave bruises. All these workers across all of these places. Like, some of the kids grew up, like, being afraid of water and found out later that it's because they had their heads shoved under the bathtub water line as a punishment when they were in these boarding houses. Um, and... You know, when they got to their adopted parents, a lot of them were great. Doesn't doesn't erase all the trauma they've experienced. But, um, you know, a lot of them weren't great. I mean, one one mm-hmm. woman said that her mother was furious when she developed scoliosis because she said, I spent all this money on you. And like, if I'd known you were going to develop a crooked back, I would never have picked you out. Oh, my God. I mean, the, some of them had sought to replace children that they had. if they wanted to exchange them, if mm-hmm. this was the way yeah. it was. Yeah, and they can. They uh, She would take back children that they rejected after a year, after more. Oh, she would one-year guarantee. They could return <laughs> kids. And so and there were people who had had children that had died that then adopted a child expecting that child to replace the child that had, I mean, it's like, there's so little emotional intelligence in any of this. Like they, and they would then spend this child's entire life comparing them to the kid that they couldn't replace. I mean, like a lot of fucked up stuff. So like we said, no child is actually a blank slate. Trauma settles in your bones. There was a long-term impact for these kids and for their birth parents. Um, They told a story in the book about a boy named Billy Hale who, like, couldn't leave his adoptive mother when he got to school the first day and could never explain why he had such a horrible reaction to being left. It took her two weeks before she could leave him at school. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. But his family taught him to that all of his memories of the time before were false. Mm. And, like, all of the people, you know, the government officials, anybody who worked, they all 
basically said that the stuff that they remembered wasn't real. It's like the worst case of mass ghosting ever. Mm -hmm. Gaslighting. It's gaslighting. I mean, it's telling you that your memory is incorrect because they were children. You know, Mm -hmm. they felt like they could just be reprogrammed. And they can't, you can't, you can't reprogram a kid. So, you know, they had all the regular like self-blame and doubt that, you know, a kid in that situation would have then multiplied a billion times because of the way all this has been done. They were stolen. And um, there were some people who, like a lot of families, just never stopped looking for their kids because that's, I'm sure. I mean, and, and, you know, it took a lot of them their entire lives and never found them. So, um, she did this for two full decades in Memphis. They didn't stop her. She, I mean, in 1949, Tennessee elected a new governor, Gordon Browning, who, um, and E.H. Crump, who had been the guy that had run the political establishment, was kind of weakened at this point, and he kind of lost his hold on Memphis politics. So Browning hired an investigator, a local lawyer, to look at what Tan had been doing and investigate the adoptions process. And um, in 1950, Browning held a press conference and revealed that Tan and her network had managed to amass more than a million dollars for her child selling scheme, which was $11 million in today's money. And they closed the Tennessee Children's Home. Now, they didn't ever do anything to talk about the crime she had committed. Mm -hmm. All they talked about was the fact that she stole money from the state. They said nothing about kidnapping they said nothing about abuse. Well, that shows what they were focused on and what was exactly. most important to them. And she was never held accountable. So three days after this press conference, she died. She had been diagnosed with cancer in 1945. She had mm. denied treatment except for narcotics for pain. Mm. She died at home in a coma three days after that press conference. So they never were able to hold her accountable for any of this. Wow. And um, so the at the end of it she had arranged more than 5000 adoptions between 24 and 50 many of those children she had kidnapped none of them were legal none of those adoptions were legal and but because there were poli- politicians and influential people and legislators who had also adopted through her mm-hmm. and wanted to protect themselves and their friends and wanted to keep their children mm-hmm. they very quickly passed a law that retroactively legalized all their illegal placements mm-hmm. and it also sealed the adoption records so that they could protect protect themselves from being connected with her and it took a court order to get access to your records. So in 1990, a historian named Marion Glad finally began to work with adoptees to get their records open. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people started, you know, coming together and trying to meet with each other and trying to find connections. And, and they're all old. Stuff. I mean, they were old now. Like yeah. they're in their 70s, 80s. Yeah. And, people who were 90s. looking for their parents generally did not find yeah, anyone, no. you know, but at least they had, you know, they had something. Right. But I mean, it's not much for... All of that shit. So nobody knows what happened to, like, where Georgia Tan buried the victims of abuse in her boarding houses. Mm. Um, They said that she probably cremated most of them. But there is a memorial in Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis that was erected in 2015. And it reads, um, their final resting place unknown, their final piece of blessing. Wow. So... That is the story of Georgia Tan, the woman who stole 5,000 children. That is horrific, but great job. Mm. That was riveting. Why there hasn't been a movie or something like that? I know, because it kind of started coming. 60 Minutes did interviews with the lawyer who ran that investigation that, um, that the governor had ordered in 92, I think. So, like, in the early 90s, I guess it was kind of a a flurry of interest in it, and Mm. then not again for a while wow i mean because it's so absolutely horrifying and that and all horrible in so many aspects that it's like unreal it's like it's so unreal yeah that's crazy good job good Mm, job yeah humans (laughs) i did look up so um mommy dearest with joan crawford Mm -hmm. and her daughter christina who wrote the book uh she was a she had Joan Crawford had four adopted children. Oh, okay. Uh, Christina was one of them that Joan got from a uh, baby. They called him a baby booker in Nevada. 
So I can't remember if the so movie she's like not the only one doing this. Obviously, yeah. no. no, it sounds. There were like... other stories from earlier too about like doctors in Chicago that ran a racket. Doctors stealing babies from from mothers in the hospital mm. and handing them off for money. Like it's not an unusual thing, unfortunately. No, and it right. and, and it still does happen. I mean, there's still a lot of right. Human trafficking is still a huge, mm-hmm. huge thing, and that's exactly what that is. So, mm-hmm. wow. Good job. Break. All right. We'll be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth. Okay, one more drink. Okay. <laughs> so I started reading this book, mm-hmm. and I got about fifteen minutes into it, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking for a story because <laughs> I wanted to do something on UFOs because mm-hmm. we hadn't like we haven't done it. In a we while. haven't done any UFOs at all, and I keep having like I subscribe to a bunch of really strange news list, mail list kind of things, and. In my uh, inbox, I keep having this things like, uh, you know, International Space Station, like videos, UFO for so many minutes, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, that's recently come out. And then there's like this other thing that recently came out saying that UFOs is really, aliens are really us, but from the future kind of things. Oh, no, no. That's too confusing. Yeah. It was like, like, like all these like different things have been like hidden, you know, my news feed. And I'm like, God, okay, so I got to do something on aliens. <laughs> and so uh, I downloaded a couple of books. And one that really, unfortunately, there was no, there was no good story attached to it. And that's the problem. Like, we find these really interesting subject matters, and there's just no good story. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time really to make up one. <laughs> but, um, like, so the line of thinking I was going down was I was reading is like, people who shoot at UFOs. Oh, my God. And it was basically, uh, you know, so-and-so saw something in the sky and shot at it, and it made a ping sound. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, you know, and that was about 10 pages of that. Oh, my God. And so I was like, yeah, I really, that's funny, but I I have nothing. I I don't have anything about that. And the last, (laughs) so I'm searching, I'm Googling, and the story that I'm about to talk about comes up. And it relates to a lot of different things that I've already covered. So, um, you know, the pandemic uh, Mm -hmm. episode, which was, I think, 52 or 3, I can't remember. Uh, We talked about how that Alaskan outpost had all those orphans because 72 residents died of the Spanish flu within five days. And so it just basically decimated this village and it was Mm -hmm. nothing but orphans. And it kind of applies to your story too, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, these, we have, you know, a recorded history of instances of like towns and cities just disappearing and, Mm. and not knowing why. So, you know, Roanoke Island, oh. back in 1587, there was like 115 people disappeared. And there was only, you know, there's been several, like, theories, like, they weren't doing well, it was too hard. And so they, you know, took the ships and went back and, like, the ships were lost at sea kind of stuff. Oh. But they did find, like, that one word, the uh, Crotona, Croatona, mm-hmm. which was, like, the local Indians um, Native Americans that lived there, and that was the only word that was found carved into the tree. Huh. So very mysterious. So I was like, okay, let me look at this. And I kept having Kentucky uh, pop up when it comes to, like, towns, these legendary towns that disappeared. And for some reason, Kentucky just has uh, several of them, huh. which is weird. So I'm going to talk about Gibbon, Kentucky. And it was a community that in May 7th, and this is a story, this is a legend. So just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Okay. So May 7th, 1926. Um, and according to this um, 
article that I'm, uh, I got this information from, these supposedly firsthand accounts uh, is telling this story. But on May 7, 1926, uh, there was this luminous green fireball that like went across the sky from west to east. And just like the UFO story with uh, Jefferson Davis, mm-hmm. uh, it crashed and there was like this huge uh, glow and this distant sound of like machinery, kind of like it says dying machinery is what the article said. But I'm like, what does dying machinery kind of sound like? <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, so, uh, so you know, the, this whole uh, community saw it. And, you know, this green fireball and, you know, they heard that machinery. And, of course, it was already night, so they're not going to go out there in the middle of the night. They wait till the morning. So they get, like, some um, – oh, well, they, in the morning, you know, they look out to see, you know, what's going on. And they hear this, uh, this tremendous crash. And all of a sudden, this like warm, foul-smelling air, which some of the witnesses (laughs) says reeked of sulfur (laughs) and other like really pungent odors um, that they couldn't identify, just kind of swept through the community. Ew. So 20 residents of Gibbon went and took it upon themselves to go check out to see, you know, what the hell's going on outside of town. However, they never came back. And um, so they set out like that lunch and, you know, nobody returned in the next couple of days, you know, the rest of the community was like really, you know, wondering what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they began to like not feel so hot. Some of them feel really odd. They had like these strange physical symptoms. They started to get burn like lesions, painful rashes strange skin discolorations they had hair loss nausea and severe abdominal pain so everything that kind of like goes hand in hand with radiation radiation poisoning poisoning. yeah but this is 1926 so the u.s government actually didn't begin to do any kind of nuclear testing until like two decades later Hmm. so this is like way too early for that that's what they say that's what they say but, you know, these physical symptoms, they, you know, the uh, people who witnessed, like, the foul odor and uh, warm air started getting more sick and sick. In less than three months, pretty much all of them died. Wow. And the townspeople who, um, you know, weren't out there, they disposed of the bodies. And they said that the bodies were, like, really in a horrible state and they were virtually, like, unrecognizable. Ugh. Uh, so they decided to bury them like in a mass grave because there were so many of them. And of the night of the mass burial, some of the residents saw like as the sun was setting that something off in the distance towards where the loud boom was kind of had like a metal reflection. They started seeing like some kind of metallic reflection. And then that horrible kind of sulfur smell uh. came back and uh, after that, like, they saw that gleam and um, this blinding green light, like, all of a sudden went off again. And they said it was, like, more intense than the sun and that a large metal object reportedly rose up horizontally and shot straight up into the air. Yeah. So they're like, what the fuck, uh-huh. right? So, um Finally, they're like, okay, we got to go look for the people, see what's going on. Obviously, there's something like massive, weird going on. And they went and they found the original search party and Uh all of their bodies were like charred black. And the area where they were, there was like a a burnt circle, flattened grass, another uh, foliage and stuff. The six members of the team... um, that went there reported like, you know, the deaths, they came back and reported the deaths to several of the residents. However, within hours of that team coming back, they basically all died like, Oh, very quickly. So weeks following this, um, more and more citizens in Gibbons began, began to like succumb to this horrible affliction. And, um, 
you know, a century later when people like go and try to find like where this town is, there's no, you know, around the area, there's no traces of like this excessive radiation that obviously afflicted these people. And they can't, you know, figure out why this happened or what it was. And like investigators found traces of like no larger animals. It's like all the animals like fled there were like no birds. It was, you know, roughly this five mile radius from the region where the fireball was first seen. Uh, it was only like insects and really small creatures. And, um, you know, it basically remained barren. That was like a hundred years later. There's still nothing. Yeah. And so despite this area being safe to rule, I mean, safe for you know people to come back because there's no radiation or anything, people still have not moved back into that community today. So that is my story of the disappearance of Gibbons community in Kentucky. Weird. So I told you I was really short. That's crazy. So though. I'm like, how, first of all, what is it? So it's 1926. I did some research. I was like, because if we're talking about atom bomb, if we're talking about like some weird something that was being tested, you know, what what is it? What's going on? Is it like some government cover up or something like that? And so I, I did some very thorough <laughs> research <laughs> of five minutes. <laughs> and uh, actually... Uh, a nuclear physicist in a laboratory in Germany in 1938 made the first atom bomb. So this was like over 10 years after uh, this whole incident happened. Hmm. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it was a meteor. Maybe it was something like a big meteor or something crashed hmm. and caused the light and the radiation. So, And I don't know anything about meteors, so I looked that up. And I'm like, you know, meteors are radioactive, right? I, I don't know. So I looked that up, and the simple answer is yes and no. <laughs> That's not simple. It is not. <laughs> um, so they're not, like, per se radioactive, uh, like a piece of uranium ore or something, but um, they're, your smoke detector in your home actually has more radio um, action than a meteor does. Because what happens mm -hmm. when it... Uh, when a fresh meteorite hits, it releases activity, and it's like it's a very short-lived, um, like the isotopes or whatever the term is, like it's very short-lived, and then it goes away. Hmm. And it, it's seriously like you could go up, and they they were saying like the amount of radiation coming off when you find if you find a meteorite is like more than likely your smoke detector is going to have more radiation coming off of it than this. I'm like, my smoke detector, what? <laughs> it's like my smoke, my detector, smoke detector has radiation has on it. Radiation coming <laughs> I know. So, That's not healthy. It is not healthy. So I was thinking radium, what, what are chemicals that can cause radio, you know, poisoning, uh, radiation poisoning. So I was thinking, okay, the, um, the clock girls. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's like radium. So is radium explosion? Because I was trying to figure out, like, what caused the explosion? And so I looked at radium. And, of course, you know, Marie Curie uh, discovered radium with her husband in 1898. And um, it does not, it can explode, but not to the degree that it did there in Kentucky. Yeah, I was like, that sounds like you'd have to have, like, a Marvel superhero throw the radium to make right, that work. <laughs> right, you know, but, you know, it did cause the same kind of radiation sickness mm -hmm. that happened to Marie Curie mm -hmm. and others. And they, I started reading up, like, the radium, everything that had radium in it um, in, like, the turn of the century. So radium was put, so these are, like, the top nine things that had radium in them at the turn oh, of God. the century. You ready? So radium was found in chocolate. They put it in chocolate. Oh my God. <laughs> they put it in chocolate. What the <laughs> Because they made the chocolate with radium water. What? Which was very popular overseas in 1936. Did it glow pretty? They put it obviously in water. Um so they had radium laced buckets for drinking water what? that would Say to cure a number of ailments from arthritis to wrinkles to life, <laughs> to, life. <laughs> to life, 
They had, obviously, uh, uranium in toys and night lights because it glowed, right? Mm -hmm. And then they put it in toothpaste so that you'd have a brighter smile. (laughs) Literally. Oh, my God. So if you don't know what radium does, it's like when you turn the lights off, it's like that glowing green, Mm -hmm. white, like it, it... that's what they used in um, old timey clock watch faces. Watch faces, yep. so that you, so could, that see you could see the time. Um, they used it in cosmetics. Oh my god! And this was actually a product line that Alfred Curry <clears throat> like came up with. He put uh, uranium in you know in women's uh, products to help their brighten their skin. Brighten. And then he's like, oops, sorry. Oops, sorry. That's right. Oh, um, my God. When did all this stop? <laughs> when they f- figured out that it was dangerous Later. and it was killing pretty much everybody that touched it, <sighs> that used it. M&Ms. Oh, my gosh. So they put it in heating pads and suppositories. Oh, my God. Um, oh, ooh. That's where the foul smell came from. (laughs) So the 20th century doctors like jumped on this radioactive bandwagon and they started putting it in everything from like suppositories to heating pads to radioactive coins, which I'm not really (laughs) sure what that is. Oh, but that was used to charge a small amount of water so that, uh, I don't know, it was... (laughs) magical cure of death right so here's the thing that made me laugh it was used to treat impotency no way before the days of viagra treatment for impotency uh took the form of radioactive bougies wait what (laughs) bougies which was a wax rod that was inserted <gasps> into the urethra oh my, oh my god Chad's face dropped yes. <laughs> and contained so you so know, if you put a rod into your dick that it doesn't matter what it's made of it's just gonna <laughs> stay in that <laughs> it's gonna automatically it's you're gonna right. Fix that problem, <laughs> it's, right it's gonna be a ramrod right oh my god steely dan oh my god steely dan um, yeah, oh, so they, yeah, and they would even like so put, they put ra- it in there and then what? And, and that was supposed to help them, whatever. Was radium inside it? Just, yeah, uh, it was, it, it was, it, it was part it of the, yeah, I, I, I don't Sorry. know. <laughs> I don't know. My motion. <laughs> Her hand motion. Just put it in there and take it out. But if you could imagine, if you could imagine. radium catheter. This also has, they also put like a radium fabric like in their underpants. So could you imagine like everybody walking around with like glowing junk? I bet they felt what? very happy for a while, though. Yeah, well, until... yeah, the girls who painted their lips knew who to go for. Oh. <laughs> you get the radium makeup on, and you see the radium underwear, and you're As like, tell a match. Where have you been? <laughs> it's a love connection. It's a love connection. <laughs> and it was used, um, obviously, because they thought it was health. there was health benefits used in the spas and in the water where they would soak. Fake news. Fake news. Oh, my God. All these people died. So um, there's that. Oh, there's at least one radium spa that's still in operation in the U.S. Apparently. And here a few in Japan and in Europe. And we're going to have to like look that up. I'm on it. Because I don't know if that's true or not. But that's just what they say. And then, of course, the last one was in clocks and watches, which we know from the radium girls, Mm -hmm. um, which is just horrific horrific tale and obviously i mean if you have like a wax rod of radium shoved up (laughs) penis i'm sure that that didn't end too well either i know i was thinking it's usually the ladies oh oh my god and are the the suppositories oh my gosh so anyway all of that to say that there is nothing based in facts for my story to happen that we can figure out what happened except aliens except for aliens obviously Obviously (laughs) aliens like going up into the sky and like releasing their pungent radioactive farts farts (laughs) kentucky there you go you're welcome in kentucky which no longer exists yes we don't have to apologize we don't have to apologize from um 
that you told the the green little green men, the little gray men story? Was it Kentucky? It was. Yep, it was Kentucky. So there's a lot of the. There uh, is. There is a lot of yeah. yeah. And there's another town that actually um, went missing, except yeah, it went missing. Like all of their inhabitants just like left. But that's so the for, Gibbons people didn't go missing. They just all died. They just died. Yeah, they depopulated. Is that, well, that's a fancy way of saying that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the government didn't come in and try to quarantine or do anything, but I guess it was the 20s, right? So, mm-hmm. well, then when they did Rural come Kentucky. in t- and like test the grounds and stuff, there was no radioactivity. So, who knows? So, thank you all for listening. <sighs> thank you. And we will talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 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 Naked margaritas. Naked margaritas. All right, that'll knocky. be what they're called, aka naked naked. What does that mean? Naked naked. They'll make you get naked. <laughs> naked. Oh. Naked. 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 Naked, you have no clothes on. You're up to something. <laughs> <laughs> Patrice almost bit her corona out. That's a Lewis Grizzard classic. <laughs> <laughs>